every conversation has the potential to devolve into an argument where our politicians can't speak to one another and where even the most trivial of issues have someone fighting both passionately for it and against it, it's not normal. And the important thing to remember is that this simulation is a good one. Wisdom and learning comes from observing the world around us. A transformation means nothing of the past will remain, which is what is needed today if you want to create a new world. Socrates tells us that the only definition of being educated, let alone learned, is to begin to understand how little you know. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Off Days. Off Days. Off Days. Hello and welcome to the Off Days podcast. I'm your host, PJ, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Bridget, and Jake, Bridget's back, making uh, a 100% increase from our last podcast in terms of number of females. How are you doing today, Bridget? I'm great. How are you, PJ? Doing superb. Absolutely thrilled to have you here. And uh, also we have... femininity to this podcast. Yeah, we definitely need it. We definitely need it. We also have <laughs> <laughs> Jake. Jake, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, well, we've kept you on uh, since the last podcast, and I'm, I'm glad we did because that makes this... The first podcast we've done in the Off Days podcast where we have uh, two, not one, but two, that is 200% more than usual, actually 100% more than usual, engineers on this podcast. So if this podcast ends up being engineering, that would actually be quite unexpected because you're for, for engineers, you're actually quite sociable and... I'm confused on your math here. I don't but... feel like you should have <laughs> used statistics there. Okay, you know what? The number of percents involved is not important. What what matters is that uh, we have a lot of fun things to talk about, and we got engineers to do it with, and I'm really excited. And uh, but does anyone I feel like you're separating yourself from us right now? Yeah, I just want to make sure I that I make a distinction. <laughs> so, uh, fun engineering things to talk about. One of them is flying cars. We have, apparently, the co-founder of Google has developed an octocopter, which has been berated by the Stephen Colbert Colbert Report already for being nothing more than a, another thing that white people who are really rich fly over their lakes and nothing more than that. But I think that it points towards a larger and uh, more pressing trend of of quad or octo or hexacopter technology being... Octomom. Oct- yeah, octomom technology being utilized for transportation and other other things which are important to talk about. So, uh, yeah, I just want to get your perspective, Jake, as an aeronautical engineer on, on, on this whole, the whole problem of regulating drones and drone-like aircraft in, in city-dense airspace. Well-worded because uh, that will be probably the first hurdle that sort of technology is going to run into is regulation. Um, the FAA already is very wary about drones, and I'm talking about just the kind that you just control with whatever, like a PS2 controller or something like that. And uh, and when you put a person in it, and it's got presumably <clears throat> a few hundred pounds, and it's going to be flying around, uh, that's definitely going to make traffic authorities in all dimensions kind of scared. So um, I'm not suggesting that we should have like Star Wars Episode Two level of traffic types, <laughs> yeah, um, where you have all these different lanes and grids and stuff. But there's definitely going to be some questions involving airspace. I wouldn't be surprised if you have a type of 
situation, at least initially, where you definitely can't fly these anywhere near urban centers, which kind of kind of kills the whole marketability. Of yeah, it. I, I mean, I've already heard of these things being used to transport uh, medical samples from across medical campuses or from across one hospital to another in the same city. And, so I've, mm. and, and that's actually happened in Europe, I think, not in the United States yet. But I do, I do see a lot of utility and a lot of potential. I mean, I just want to know, Bridget, do you think that if this was a, an available technology, like, like for instance, if you wanted to go from one city or one part of your city to another and you, and you could do it by you know, paying a few dollars and sitting in a chair and flying through the air uh, to, to another rooftop of like a different office building of your, you know, would you, would you engage in that or do you, or do you think that's something you wouldn't do? I mean, complicated question because if the infrastructure is set up appropriately so we're not crashing into things, I mean, essentially they're just like miniature helicopters without the, like without being structured like a helicopter. Right. right but I mean, it's, if it's automated, down, I mean, drive across. Like, like if it drove it yourself, you know, like you didn't drive it yourself, but it was just like automated and, and like you put in like a, like a destination and then it, it flew you there automatically. Would you, would you feel comfortable with that? I mean, we trust things like that <clears throat> almost daily. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, the, it's like exactly like being on a ski lift, right? And that's something that's sort of automated that, I mean, yeah. there's someone running it, but essentially it's going in a loop. It's a mechanical thing that could break at any time. Is it more dangerous to me than... I mean, we're already having problems with self-driving cars crashing or flipping or whatever the hell happened in Arizona. But there's there's a lot more to come, one, on making the airspace more structured to actually get these without crashing. But also, FA, like the airspace that Jake was talking about and some of the other obstacles that really kind of prevent this from being realistic. Like, uh, in my opinion, it seems like, okay, great, we'll have flying cars by 2020 maybe, but... The, the support structure and all of the work to be done to come with flying cars, that seems a lot further out yeah, to me. Yeah, it certainly does. I think that the regulatory hurdle will be the biggest one. I actually think that the technology is probably already there to be able to detect oh, to detect and prevent crashes efficiently. I mean, like, I don't know if you guys... I don't know if you guys have seen these videos of the Tesla automated car, like predicting accidents moments before they occur. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but like it's pretty, like, Tesla makes a beep when you're in it. It makes a beep uh, whenever there's like an accident that's about to occur. And it's like, seconds before it happens. It just goes beep, beep, beep. And then you see like a, just a huge collision occur in the in the front view <laughs> window. It's like, how did it know that was going to happen? You know, and I, and I guess it has, you know, a series of different uh, sensors like LiDAR. And I, I don't know exactly what's, what's in these things. But I just think that it's pretty incredible what uh, they've done so far. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say all all other factors being equal, um, I'm much more inclined to trust that sort of technology in the driver's seat than any given Uber driver. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just me personally, I put more trust. Even though, yeah, it kind of goes against my brainstem uh, personality. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm more inclined... intellectually not intuitively yeah to trust um to trust a robot driving i agree minus the fact that right now we're not at this stage where it's all robots driving right if it was if it was all robots driving sure i feel safer but the integration of robots with real life people <laughs> yeah i think that's where we're running into a lot of obstacles so well, to me when- it's What's the difference? Because well, the difference is the amount of predictable variables you can have. If you if you're in a car driven by a robot, 
and then you have non-robotic cars driving around you, you can't predict what those are going to do. You can only prevent so much. But if you have... Neither the robot nor the human driver can do that. The only area for having a leg up that I see is reflexes, and the robot wins totally. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. But I just think that or if you're in an automated car and the only cars around you are also automated cars, they won't even put themselves in the situation to have an accident, you know? So, and I think that's what Bridget was getting at. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, I'm getting at the fact that if somebody really wants to hit you, they're going to try to hit you, even yeah. if you're in an automated <laughs> car, right? Like, I mean, if somebody swerves suddenly, there's only, I mean, yes, I, I get that reflexes, especially with robots, sensors do like crazy things, but also one of those sensors fails and that person's crashing into you. And I mean, even if, and sometimes even if that sensor's working, you still can't avoid, if somebody swerves and there's only, there's no direction for the car to go to prevent yeah. that. Short of snapping your neck, there's not yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course. So right now it's almost, I mean, that's, that's a chaotic situation to me is, sure, if we were all to decide, yes, let's all go to self-driving cars, that's one thing. But the integration of both right now, I think that's where it gets really right. Yeah, problematic. But you brought up an interesting point earlier, Jake, about how you would trust an Uber driver. Uh, you, tr you trust an automated car more than an Uber driver. And yet, I think there's been legislation saying that you can't charge people to ride in automated cars, right? Or, do you know anything about that? I, I heard something about um, this. I don't. I know some behind the just kind of the, the talk about the ethics behind self-driving cars, but I don't know anything about legislation. Yeah, I, I think maybe it was Uber. I don't know if it was legislation, but I think it was Uber said just like among those who have self-driving cars who are employed by them, they aren't allowed to use the self-driving car functionality. Mm. One can only imagine that like in the future, you know, you'll call an Uber and a car with no one in it will appear, you know, at the bar you're at or whatever, and then you'll get in, you'll drunkenly get into it. Can you imagine if it was always like that, how cheap that crap would be? Oh, God. Because you don't have to pay a human to survive. That's where it's going to happen, guys. I'm telling you, that's how we're going to have robot cars. It's going to start with things like Uber. It's going to be your taxi services. Yeah. Yes, and that's how millions of Americans go Lose out of jobs. jobs yeah. Too, so. <laughs> yeah. Rust Belt jobs are coming back. Don't worry, Trump supporters. They're yeah. coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, now they are. We're getting Antarctic. It's going to be Frost Belt jobs. <laughs> it's going to be like a bunch of... Polar drilling, apparently, is what are we going to do when all these robots take our jobs? And yeah, no, I, I don't know. Yeah, it just I seems mean, something we're talking about. I think that's something that we need to start solving for, though, because it is becoming, yeah. I mean, every industry, you're getting more automation, you're getting more, I mean, that's the, that's the goal, it's the business savings. Every business is pushing for more automation and less manual labor because it's cheaper in the long run. Right. But what, like, people have to make a living somehow. So where it, it feels like we're moving in this direction without talking about what the end result is, which here's, needs to have some solves. Here's an idea that I had uh, a few weeks ago on this topic. I was thinking, well, dang, there's just too many people and there won't be enough jobs soon. But then I realized... Um, I mean, is it crazy to think that the way birth rates are going, maybe soon there won't be quite too many people? Like, w wouldn't that be so convenient? That would be great. The birth rate, and it does seem to be going the down. Population, well, at least in developed countries, which yeah. is probably the worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah. um but yeah i mean wouldn't that be awesome and so convenient if the population declined as the available work also declined yeah i mean and later we only have an adam and eve where the robots just totally provide for them <laughs> wow that's the dramatic turn <laughs> i'm writing a book um <laughs> about about the future the post automation future where only yeah, two humans exist the, the, the garden of eden but it's the end game yeah it's it, let's kill everybody off before the world explodes right yeah. what that's not what i said that's <laughs> no i mean i think oh, oh, what a bastardization of a great point that i made yeah or we could alternatively we could just take all of the current humans and have robots store those humans inside of like some sort of like a cyber amnion and then like use the human's body heat to acquire lots of electricity to charge the rest of the world for the people who want to live in it you know that's interesting what would those stored humans do would they have some kind of um some kind of alternate reality just playing in their mind yeah i think we could yeah we could use I some mean, sort just of like put a, Netflix in front of them and have them binge watch. Yeah, uh, but like an interactive form of Netflix, where like they're just very about the plot of the Matrix. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm thinking things like so robots are never going to be able to necessarily come up. Well, this this is not necessarily true with AI, but come up with ideas, right? So the so what are people better at than robots, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Right now, yeah. that's true. It's definitely true right now. Yeah. So instead of having people work on like jobs that are physical and manual and laborious, then having them come up with more thought provoking or let's come up with, let's just brainstorm and see what new ideas we can come up with, which is largely actually kind of what our culture has moved towards. But how do we do that for everyone rather than just those? who have made it out of the blue-collar jobs. Yeah, that's a real challenge. I have no idea. I mean, I, I also think that part of that's going to have to be changing the sort of base level of education among people because creative thinking that employs technology today, is, there's like a new, a new floor that has risen considerably. And if you don't know how to build a circuit or you don't know how to code, there's very little chance you're going to be able to come up with something that's useful and will make you money. You know, yeah, but I, I think our education system is outdated anyway. It literally is for uh, let's see how well you can memorize this. But yeah. Yeah. what do you need to memorize now that you have Google at your fingertips at any minute? I mean, on one hand, it, there's obviously some yes, you need to understand basic concepts and techniques, but a lot of the, what we've learned in schools is really kind of how we used to function, and now that we have a new age of internet and like technology basically our, our education system hasn't moved along with it yeah we can, we can talk about something new actually speaking of airplanes jake i was or not airplanes but aircraft i was interested in this thing i work with a bunch of people who are chinese and that's not racist it's just a fact and i have to say chinese yeah no i i referenced a culture so i'm inherently offensive uh Go. Sorry about that. Uh, you're only inherently of offensive because you decided to say that you're not racist while referencing well, oh, the I'm Chinese. Sorry, you missed you missed an exchange that PJ and I had before you got on, where we were making fun of 
um, identity politics. Yeah, oh, because okay. because one of one of Jake's friends texted him and was like, "How as a liberal would you let people know that having a fiesta party is offensive? A fiesta themed <laughs> party is it? It's like maybe it isn't offensive. Maybe it's just a fiesta party with some coronas and a piñata. That's not necessarily offensive. Like it's not more offensive than say like an Oktoberfest party." As Jake put it. The only thing offensive about it is that it's literally translated to party party or fiesta fiesta. <laughs> exactly. I almost made that point, but I didn't. But I almost did. That's a well, good that's point. what you should have told him. <laughs> yeah, but I actually I, I was talking to Jake about this earlier. That I'm just kind of tired of people assuming that or any reference to a culture or a, any inquiry as to someone's ethnicity or country of origin is immediately conflated with an offensive or aggressive sort of outlash or something. I have no idea why that is. But the only reason that is is because you're a white male, so you can't say anything about anyone. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. yeah. We but if, can't have opinions, and I'm just so bummed because I have lots of opinions. But if someone was to ask me, like, hey, Pierce, where's your ancestry from? Who, who are your ancestors? I would be like, can we talk about it for a whole day? You know? <laughs> right. Like, I, I'd be so excited to tell you about my Viking ancestries and, like, you know, the Nor- Norse mythology that I actually believe in and all of that stuff. Oh, also, if you get mad at me for saying Hispanic and correct me and say Guatemalan, then you can't call me white because I'm going to be like, um, I'm Czech German, so I know you can't tell because you're a racist. Actually, though, there, there is like some interesting terminology that goes behind like Hispanic versus Latino or like so one means like first generation I actually don't know the specific terminology, and I feel like I should, but I don't. But anyway, so let me get back. I want to get back to the point we were talking about before we talked about identity politics, which is that I work with a lot of people who are Chinese. And when I was talking to them, they were talking about this new aircraft that their glorious republic had created. Quote, unquote, republic. (laughs) Quote, unquote, republic had created. And it's called the Chengdu J-20. And... uh, yeah, I guess it's called Chengdu J20 because Chengdu is where they have their aircraft manufacturing facility. And it's a fifth generation fighter that's supposed to compete with the F-22 Raptor, you know. And it has this characteristic of being, I want a super maneuverability, right? And yeah. uh, and I just, I, I mean, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, from what I understand, at least, it's like it's inherently Im- unstable it's inherently unstable and so there's some avionics occurring that keep it that keep the wings level but but if it it wasn't automatically being kept level then somehow it would you know spin out of control and so but this instability is what allows it to be super maneuverable am am i getting close there or like maybe you can tell us something about the the problem of of super maneuverability um well first i want to just provide a very brief background in some of the problems associated with flying in the air as opposed to uh, driving on the ground or, or being on a boat or something like that. When you're talking about moving, or, or let's just, let's, your conventional airplane, the, an obvious difference between flying in an airplane and driving in a car, and this is, this is almost laughably obvious, is that you can't just park. You can't just pull over and get out and change the tire or something, right? And that's because to, be, to stay aloft, you have to generate lift, and by with conventional airplanes, um, you have to generate lift by moving through the air, by moving through this medium. Right. And so, so for that reason, you can't just stop like in the Looney Tunes, you know, and, and just and and get out and pause in midair. But when you're talking about stability, well, there's three axes. So 
and I'll name them for you. There's the roll axis, which goes along the length of the plane. That's your, and if you turn along this axis, you'll be rolling is what it's called. Right. You have the pitch axis, which goes from wingtip to wingtip. And then you have your yaw axis, that's Y-A-W. And that's the third axis, which goes through the plane, goes straight to the ground, and it would be like turning the car. Um, and probably when you're talking about super maneuverability in a jet, what they're talking about is your pitch axis. When the, the most common way to make something inherently unstable pitch-wise is to change the shape of the wings as the plane is coming towards you. So when the wings are pitched slightly up, then that creates um, positive stability, meaning that if you have some gust of wind that comes at the plane from a crazy angle, um, the plane is going to tend to resume its... Um, it'll initially be you know, thrown off, but then it'll tend to resume to its previous state. Um, if it's unstable, obviously that means something different. That means that it'll be tipped out of control, usually. Um, it's similar to trying to, I don't, I don't know, trying to balance on a soccer ball or something. Right. You're constantly making adjustments to maintain balance. Now, instead of balancing on a soccer ball, this is like trying to balance on a cue ball where you're probably not going to be able to do it because the your body cannot process the adjustments at the appropriate rate to be able to maintain your balance. Oh, I got you. Um, so what's the benefit? And a similar thing happens. Well, so a similar thing happens with planes when you're when you're super unstable. So you have to constantly make all these adjustments. But the benefit is that you can very very quickly change your course. So that means, so a plane that's really stable is also going to be really hard to change its course. So if you're having to take evasive maneuvers and you're in a really stable plane, it's not going to want to move. You, it'll, it'll just be stubborn. And if you have a really unstable plane, it's going to want to move all the time. So really, you just release it and let it go for a little while. So that's why for Okay, uh, so taking this to public life then, so the smaller... Oh, I got lost. Smaller passenger planes are older that I get thrown on because I live in a small town and have to fly short distances. There, you can feel them moving a little bit more, and then you get on maybe a long distance plane from here to Europe, and it's extremely. It's like you're not flying whatsoever. It's so smooth. Yeah, is that that's kind of what we're. Well, talking I, yeah, about. and I, I think similar, yeah. also maybe what he's saying is that like flying on like a commercial jetliner those are so stable that it's like it's like you're not even standing on a ball of any kind it's more like you're standing on a football field you know and there's no chance you're gonna slip and do anything unless it wants you to but like i think the idea of like but these the hyper problem is if you can't move around if someone suddenly fires a gun at you yeah. and you want to be like neo you want to be able to get out of the way quickly <laughs> right and and if you're just chilling on a football field and let's say you don't have knees you're going to have a hard time getting out of the way right. if you're on a really stable configuration. Okay. okay, so for basically Warcrafts, it's it's beneficial to have more instability and more control over how you're... So yes. so this technology is specific to probably... Yeah, military aircraft probably. Fighting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but of course the trade-off is at a certain point you're going to get so unstable that humans can't control it. You just can't do it. So you need a computer which, with faster reflexes um, that will be able to keep the plane in flight. Yeah, so what I understand is that most fifth generation fighters, they have these sorts of automated stability assists. Am I wrong about that? Um, 
I actually don't know, but I I assume because the way you know that that's the way technology tends to go. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, but that's not an entirely new concept. Yeah, either. not to hate on the the achievements of this this Chinese aircraft, but um, yeah, as far as I know, the first stealth bomber that we developed, I think it was in the seventies, needed that mm-hmm. to a smaller extent, just because it needed to be shaped so weird. Oh, to avoid radar. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you had some pretty crazy instability yeah. problems. Yeah. So there was there were cases of in some test flight or something, one of the planes completely loses half of a wing, and the pilot doesn't even know it because the computer is automatically adjusting for it. Yeah. That's a real case. That's, that's unreal. Happened. Yeah, that's, I just feel like maybe this is maybe this is something that's been a long, around for a long time, but I don't think it's common knowledge that you know that pilots are only doing some of the work at this point. I'm, I'm not taking away from the insane job that fighter pilots have. I'm just saying that it's just interesting to me that these planes without their computer, computer-aided stability programming oh, would, yeah. would just completely be impossible to fly, you know? So that... Yeah. Well, it's, aren't, it's a really fun topic to think about. Sorry, aren't uh, commercial airlines, like, aren't commercial flights mostly automated now too? Yes, yeah, they could pretty much fly themselves and we have the technology now to have planes be able to take off and land by themselves in most weather conditions. But the pilot is there for more overhead things like safety concerns. You know, if if suddenly the tail shears off, the computer's not going to know how to handle that emergency situation. So many times it's good to have a pilot there and also just the expertise and experience of the pilot. I don't think a computer would have had the wherewithal or or the the know-how to land a plane on the Hudson. You're so right. Right. A really good case for having pilots. Well, still this the, interesting, but it ties back into the self-driving car discussion a little bit too. Yeah. Just yeah. Good to have someone driving or able to drive the self-driving car. And right now, the Tesla models that are self-driving, they actually require that you keep your hands on the wheel and that you, they, you know, if they're only partially self-driving. You know, like right. you're still in charge. You still have some agency over your safety. Uh, but I don't know when that's going to end. And also, when it does end, it's going to present a number of interesting moral questions, you know, yes. which I mean, we've already all thought about probably, you know, like if, if you have to hit a car or you have to hit, hit a person in the road, like, there's no choice. But you could either choose to hit like one type of person or another, you know, an old person or a young person or or a black person or a white person, you know, of equal. Get, I mean, it's uh, the trolley problem. It's yeah. a very real world situation of the trolley problem. Yeah. And it's a really interesting and difficult space to morally navigate. And I don't think we have enough people dedicated to the one moral, moral code. Yeah. And I, I think certainly... If only we could all unite under one moral code. So boring. (laughs) Actually, it would. What the hell are we talking about? (laughs) So, yeah, Chengdu J-20, interesting aircraft. Chinese are are getting with it. That was developed in March 2017. So, I mean, uh, this brings us into a different conversation, which is what the hell is happening on the North Korean slash Korean peninsula? You know, Um. I, I mean... Also, what I mean, do, they, do they read Donald Trump's tweets? Because if, if they do, no, I've heard I've heard like most nations have, if not committees, at least some person dedicated to reading Donald Trump's tweets. Yeah, yeah. 
which is just so demoralizing for those of us who don't want him to be famous yeah. because it makes him happy. Yeah, it's really frustrating. I think the most difficult part for me has been, you know, like I, I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because I didn't want like an oligarchy of the Clinton family. You know, I was like, I don't want this. And I don't like who Hillary Clinton is. Uh, there are a lot of things I don't like about her. I didn't vote for Donald Trump either. I didn't vote. Yeah, I'd hate me. Everyone can, but I'm not complaining. I'm just disgusting. But like, and then on the same token, when, when I thought that we were going to avoid an oligarchy with a Trump presidency, it's, exact, it's exactly what we got. I mean, it, we've we found nothing but his connections and ties to the Russian mob. <laughs> and when I say mob, I mean government. And and we found <laughs> that the people he keeps close to him. probably going to be dead next week. So. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. But like what I thought was going to be like maybe just a shakeup of Washington has turned into this whole thing where it seems as though Donald Trump is out to improve his wealth and standing in the world and improve the wealth and standing of his family. And he doesn't actually have the interest of the American people at heart. But that's just my opinion. Well, and I would be totally, well, I wouldn't be totally okay. I would be so much more okay with that if I had any faith at all that he was able to protect the world and thus himself from <laughs> annihilation. But but he doesn't, man. And that's the thing is if we had a Clinton oligarchy, at the very least, the Clintons would be very interested in not getting destroyed. <laughs> and and that goes along with me also not getting destroyed. But I'm just not so sure that Trump can keep himself from from getting getting just killed by yeah. some crazy missile. And that's the crazy thing is like he doesn't realize that when he tweets every time he's like putting American lives potentially at risk. Let's <laughs> like one wrong tweet and who knows what the North Korea what, what Kim Jong is going to do. I mean he's already under pressure. He's 33 years old. He's not a he's not like a adult. You know, he, he like sure rainbows sprung out of his his birthplace when he was born. Yeah, or... you're definitely gonna be dead next week. <laughs> I'm just trying to explain. <laughs> I'm just trying to explain how ridiculous this. I mean, he's already under pressure because apparently the people in his in his inner council or whatever think he's weak because he's allowed private industry to flourish, whereas they think that North Korea should remain an entirely socialist uh, country. I, I just don't know. I just I think that we're underestimating the rest of the world right now. Like Donald Trump, when he tweets, if it's absolutely ridiculous, which I will keep my opinion to myself on that. But basically, like, I think we're Are you that afraid of just getting killed. <laughs> no, oh I'm not gosh. afraid of getting I am killed. so OK with being an anti-Trump martyr. If I get killed right now for saying this crap, if no, this my gets point recorded, is my death. I'm so okay with with being martyred for that because okay. that's, that's a great way to go. That damn. I just sorry. think <laughs> that we need to be more supportive of the president that was elected, regardless of how maybe immature and ridiculous he may be. It's how do we keep focus on what's actually important instead of the nonsense and the ridiculousness. So yeah. my point here is more or less like I don't think that we're one giving the other branches of our government enough credit because some of the ridiculous things that have gone on have not been approved have not been passed so someone's looking out right for the greater whole of the country and then I mean in in the same token like I would say that people other leaders in the world know not to take him too seriously or know when to take him seriously and not to take him seriously and we can't be 
thinking that we're the only people who have a clue, right? Well, but, but I mean, how important is it really to take someone seriously if you have motives that you're going to undertake regardless of what the rest of the world thinks? I mean, if nothing else, he's just handing out excuses for countries to do terrible things. Isn't he? Like, isn't that what all his tweets are doing? I mean, he's definitely giving other countries an excuse to no longer respect America. Whatever respect they had left, I, I feel like he's giving them an excuse to let go of it. And I don't think that's true either, honestly. I mean, on one hand, yes, we have a president who speaks probably before he actually thinks. But at the same time, like, he isn't re- representative of the entire country. We have a lot but he of literally smart is. people. No, he's literally <laughs> not, though. That's, that's kind of my point. The government was set up for all branches of government. Yes, he's the executive leader of the country, but at the same time, a lot of other people do a lot of work to actually keep this country running. There's a lot of other people, and I think there's common knowledge across the world that what he believes is not the belief of everybody in this country. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think generally people recognize that what he thinks is not what Americans think. and I, But it's also frustrating that... Like a lot of people, while they know this in their hearts, they they just like when I went to Scotland recently with uh, with Patrick, I was really sad to find that people were this is this is when Donald Trump was just being elected and people were really like astounded and they would ask us like how how do you feel about this guy like are you, like is this a joke and and it's just a, it's not fun to be thought of as a joke and and like I don't know how much of it is fake news but like hearing about how he goes to Germany and has to be told by Angela Merkel like five, like 10 times or whatever that he can't make a trade deal with Germany without going through the EU first. <laughs> did you hear about Is that fake news, Jake? Do you know did you hear about that? Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> I did, I actually didn't hear about that because it just all just kind of runs together to yeah. be honest. And that's the problem. That's the problem is that this like sense of resignation that we feel about all of this ridiculous stuff. Nothing nothing is important anymore. Nothing is outrageous anymore because everything is outrageous. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's true at all. I think everything is more important now because everything is so, right now, currently ridiculous that nobody wants this to happen again. But when it's all important, it's very exhausting. And and I will, I mean, I am staying up to date, I'm telling you. And, and I really, I get frustrated when people really do shut down and don't listen to the news anymore. But it is exhausting. And that's an effect that everyone feels if you're trying to keep up on that. And... I, I don't I, I just don't see how this can let's see I don't understand how this can be a good era for America yeah I, I don't see anywhere that we look back and say well here was the silver lining I I, I mean but Bridget has a point like maybe this is a downs there are no ups yeah and that's I think it's a good point like hopefully you're right I, I really hope you're right that we'll look back at this you know, in, in three years when it's about to be over and we'll say, all right, we're never doing that again. And we'll think really hard and we'll participate more in the political well, process. But here's the other thing, though, and this was something that I hadn't um, really understood for a long time. Um, the The election of Trump wasn't, I think it's really misunderstood. It, it wasn't a a support of Donald Trump, really. It it oh, seems to me yeah. that quite a few people about this i'm i don't know pj you're probably up on this too Mm -hmm. but it was it's been called the murder weapon um this is if for those of you who listen to the sam harris podcast the most recent one i think it was talked about this where a lot of charles murray they voted for trump yeah it's charles murray 
said because he was a murder weapon and that just that stunned me because that makes total sense i mean this is anti-establishment populism and but, I, I mean populism is just so volatile but oh this has had the effect i feel of making certain people who are certainly younger and newer to the political process and we are we are those people but like even younger than us they've thought of this as like a normal thing and as if like like, you know, there's a video that came out recently from our alma mater showing six sophomores or freshmen. Yeah. yeah and and they and they just, they were like sheep. They're like sheep. Like, how would you rate Donald Trump's presidency so far? It's, oh, we'll give him an A. He's doing great. Everything's good. He, he what? Well, to be fair, I could probably find six 55-year-olds who would say the same thing. Yeah, yeah that's that true. Was, that was probably some sampling error there. You know, of course, it's but not your accurate. Point is well taken. I mean, think about the way that we're we just take for granted war in the Middle East. Right. What, what's that going to mean when we have uh, young people who take for granted the joke of a presidency? And I know, Bridget, you're pushing back on this a lot, but it is a fact that the presidency is laughed at. And oh, absolutely. I mean, before the election, my younger sister was traveling overseas, and literally everyone there and that's what's interesting to me is that all of the young people in like the european countries that she visited are up to speed on u.s politics but most young people in the united states i mean i know back when we were in college i was more focused on my college organizations than the news right so there's a political apathy in I guess our younger generations, especially just because it, it hasn't been such a big deal or basically we just haven't maybe understood the political systems and the importance like some of our older generations have. But no, I, I completely agree that they, I mean, half of her friends contacted her the day of the election and were just mind blown oh, yeah. about her friends that she met in Hungary or whatever. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's, it's insane. And I honestly think recently just from the media I've been consuming, I feel like I need to understand more where I place, where I'm, where I'm placed in the sort of like broader, uh, cultural and socioeconomic context, because maybe I've thought I've taken my own position for granted. I'm really bad at seeing where I am, where we are. Cause like, I, I don't, I don't want to call us like a hyper educated elite, but like compared to a lot of the country, that's kind of what we are. And if we had more money, we would be. Yeah. Perfectly. <laughs> and, it, and like, I, that puts us in a separate... Oh, I, I'm serious. Yeah. And I, like, it puts us in a separate group that I honestly... Usually, I haven't honestly seen, like, a huge difference between myself and, like, certain people who would see me this way. But it, I, I think it does exist. And there's a psychological disconnect between me and those people who I, I can't even name because I don't know, I'm not sure who they are. But is, am I making any sense here, Jake? Or, or Bridget? Think, um... Yes, but I think the best way to understand this is to go the opposite direction. Instead of trying to understand the the four Trump supporters that are left, or <laughs> or understanding him and his tweets, I the best approach for me has been trying to understand the opposite side of the aisle. And I mean the exact opposite. I mean the left-wing populists, the ones that are shutting down, the ones who kept Ann Coulter from speaking, right? Um, who are who are impinging on freedom of speech that's a huge that's deal yeah yeah that's i have no idea how they can that and i think you're gonna start to understand the spectrum in a much more holistic way right yeah i think that's an equally difficult problem is that on one side you have right-wing populism and on the other side you have 
just an absolute abandonment of what were once American values, like allowing anyone to speak on a college campus, regardless of what I mean, they it's, thought. It's pretty much left-wing anarchism, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Yeah. I just think that, I mean, why not take the time while it is so polarizing to start figuring out what the common values that everyone can get behind are because so I easy. have, I mean, God damn it, guys, <laughs> of course, um, but I, I know you guys are saying, Oh, there's only four more Trump supporters left, but I guarantee you, I mean, I live in a place where oh, most yeah. of the people, regardless of what he's saying, what, regardless of his tweets, they think he's hilarious. They think it's just satire they yeah. they find it highly amusing and they they're like ah he might not say the right things but he's doing a good job and there's there's a huge support group for him uh yeah. closer to me and so there are there are those i mean i think one of the main things is where he got a lot of his support from were from the people who i mean there was an article about all of the more rural folks that feel like they're losing jobs to automation or they feel like they're their properties are getting bought by big business and they can't afford the upkeep of it. And they're just kind of slowly, their culture is getting replaced and replaced by this new mainstream, high media, fast paced culture. And so they're kind of trying to protect their their own lifestyle. Yeah. And so they're trying to protect their lifestyle. And a lot of what Trump said spoke to those things, like the coal miners. He's bringing back coal mining jobs. I mean, it's out of a self-protectionism, but again, it's it's because of, sorry to always come back to this, but almost a lack of education. And how do we create a more holistic environment that like helps the, I don't know, synchronization of everyone? I, I find it interesting because if you... Uh, like this is completely metaphorical, but I watched a chef's table about how every aspect of a farm oh, yeah. plays into like the food that ends up going on the plate and how that sustains the. the I love that show, by the way. Back. That's such a great yeah. show. I know exactly the blue blue tree, the blue hill farms or whatever. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I mean, like honestly, like that farm to market, that farm to table movement, it doesn't have a lot of sustainability, but it, that is a good lesson. Which is that, like, you, you have to have a balanced farm. You got to have the goats to eat out the shrubberies, to have the cows, to, you know, to have all the things. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that, that, I like that lesson behind it. And it's a good, a good uh, lesson on sustainability. But I honestly think that the last time that humanity, or the last time that America, <laughs> I conflate those two a lot, but I shouldn't. The last time that America <laughs> was synchronized, like you said, it was like the 40s, maybe, you know, and we haven't had. It's, since then, it's just been growing apart, and I don't know. I think all I see in terms of technology is the potential for it to be torn more apart, and well, apart, torn apart into two classes. But like, I just think to me, torn apart into one class that is going to be driven by and motivated by the the products that are produced by the Silicon Valley elite that. You know, are just taking uh, the AIs. Like Facebook's already an AI, and it already has dominated my brain. Like I watch Facebook videos because every time I flip the thing and see another one that's hilarious, little dopamine releases in my brain, and I'm addicted. You know, and like I have no idea how I'm going to avoid that except for deleting Facebook off my phone, which I've done. 
you know, and so like, but there are people out there who don't have the ability to regulate their own, their own content consumption and they're not realizing that they're being addicted and they don't realize that the amount of time they're spending on these things is not good and like, but it's making other people money because they're watching the advertisements, you know, and they're going to continue to be zombies. I mean, every event that's happened that has really united the country is a major conflict, right, with another country, unfortunately. But that's what's, I mean, created a lot of growth and created a lot of unity. And then we, I mean, we have tons of people in this era that haven't really seen any type of conflict or the need for crazy patriotism or whatever. But, I mean, that's, that's one aspect. But to me, the bigger thing is just because there's not a clear path forward to like help everyone become more united or point out those things that, Hey, maybe all our time watching TV and all our time on the internet isn't necessarily a good thing. Like how do we create, uh, should we just not bother to try to educate people about those things? Should we just stop and just say, Oh, well, everybody's doomed or, even though it's going to be hard or difficult or it may not get to everybody, do we keep moving forward yeah. anyway? So you're saying we just have to adapt to these things and, and change educational policies and things like that and just continue to... I mean, somebody's got to try, yeah. right? Or we just do nothing and we're just settling <laughs> yeah. for, well, no, of course not. guess we're all going to hell, you yeah. know? like that, that is honestly the only solution. And I actually, I reject, I mean, I... I I understand and I agree with the fact that a national international conflict brings a country together and makes it makes it uh, more unified. That's obvious. But what I reject is that's the, the, the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you probably agree with me on that Absolutely. one. Yeah. Because we, we can't do that again. It's just I can't feasibly. I mean, you know, if we went to war with some other country, like I would fight. But I don't think that's a thing that's needed. Uh, and like yeah. the current left wing propaganda is that is like the anti-Trump propaganda just like left 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 is that like Trump is has a hidden agenda and Trump and the people around him have a hidden agenda to recreate this sort of uh, destructionism to bring about a new unified America and I don't think that's necessary or real but that is what the left is saying so I, I think we have to be aware of that propaganda when we discuss the kind of stuff yeah I'm a I'm, I have things I want to say, but they're very different, so I'm trying to decide which one. Um, I'll go with this one. You may you may disagree with me on this, but I the alarm go, bells go off for me whenever I hear someone say something to the effect of, we need to, um, you know, it, it, some by some measure, we need together to be better. Like, that just sounds so dangerous to me. Uh, it seems like a bad goal to say that a group of people needs to improve in some way because have trouble thinking of a time in human history when that turned out well. It seems to me that the only times that we ever really improved was when we got together and said, how can we give ourselves the most personal freedom to be the best people we can be? And and I, when you go into like group politics and stuff like that, I think that's when you're going to get into everything from i mean this it's the exact same rhetoric that mussolini used it's the exact same rhetoric that um that the soviets used when they took over and it just it sounds so dangerous to me to say that we're going to be improving society by some measure because 
there's a strong chance that your measure is a bad one. Yeah. Why don't we just let people be their own people? We can offer them education, but they're probably going to be dumb, and we can't really help that. You can't force goodness on someone. Mm-hmm. So are the alarm bells from the Make America Great Again, or are you speaking? No, it's from y'all's words. It's specifically you, Bridget, when you said some, I don't remember the exact wording, but it sounded to me like you were saying we need to, in the worst case scenario, forcefully educate these people to be better by the standards that I consider better. Okay, I I understand what you're saying. Not, not exactly what I was saying, because um, if you know me, and you do. So when I say we need to be better, it is kind of more on an individual basis, not a... Mujahideen thinks he is the ideal individual, doesn't he? I take your point, Jake. You're saying that... Yeah, holistically, we can't decide that this is the right way and only this is the right Right. way, so everyone else is wrong. But I think he's talking more culturally, like, like like if you look at the Chinese, for example, so much of what their mindset is is what will be best for the country. How can I serve China as a whole greater? And, and they think less about like personal freedoms or personal privacy as being important because they're more interested in, and this is like a generalization, obviously, but they're more interested in the success of Chinese people as a whole. And like I think that Jake and I probably both reject that due to the fact that we grew up with a highly anti-government, highly <laughs> pro-personal freedom rhetoric. I mean, would you, would you agree with that, Jake? Well, yeah, and I don't want to sound like a complete moral relativist. I think there are definite rights and wrongs, but I think that I can't force them on people either. I have to just show them the light and hope that they walk towards it. Yeah, right. You- and so when I say educate, it's more of a present, op- like present the information. Yeah. It's not a decide like this is not not telling them what they need to believe, but it's a general like. Here's what you need to know that you don't like that you don't necessarily get exposed to, especially now. I mean, again, technology to me, you just create bubbles around you because you're you're filtering out the people that you disagree with and you're only seeing the things that you want to. So you really don't necessarily get exposed to all of the information. Yeah. So in that way, that's what I mean by education. It's what are the actual facts and let people make individual choices by themselves. They don't need people. I mean, that's that's one of the things I, I see to be very problematic is a lot of people can't think for themselves anymore. Whatever news source or whatever. I mean, a lot of millennial children who still live at home, even though they're actually like over the I call them children, but they're over the age of 21. I mean, they're reliant on their parents to tell them what their next steps are still. And I, I think that's a huge I mean, in my mind, it's a problem. Obviously, to some people, it's not. But yeah, like I don't know if that's a recent problem or if it's. I honestly just don't know if that's like something which has always been an issue, mm-hmm. you know, or if that's like something which is is more important now than it has ever been, or more problematic now than it ever has been. But I certainly think that that's something I've also noticed is that people have less of an ability to. It's it's either they problem yeah problem solve or make opinions, make informed opinions based on facts. Even though we have the most access to information that humanity has ever had in its history at this moment, it's yeah, just amazing to me. Yeah, but I think that's exactly the thing is that you have so much access to so much information and it's all kind of, I mean, I'd say a little bit of all information is somewhat biased. So you're getting all these altering opinions no matter where you go 
what you find. And so well, it's, it's really like hard to filter it. It's like that college humor video. Uh, if, if YouTube was a person, have y'all seen that? It's yeah. an old one. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. someone's like climate change and the guy's like, I have 84,000 results that advocate it and three that don't. And the guy takes the small stack and walks away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's actually an article i believe on it called or uh there's a ted talk on it paradox of choice you just you used to we'd have we didn't have exposure to all these choices it talks about things like when people grew up in like smaller towns they couldn't get to the next city like it would take days to walk to the next city you know that sort of thing where so you didn't have access to everyone you had access to the people around you and so you're choices of who you got along with and didn't was very easy almost yeah. because you liked them or you didn't but now it's this whole well i kind of like this person but i might find somebody more awesome over there you yeah. know and, and so people forever. Oh my God. yes and then you end up <laughs> not being able to make a choice ever and having commitment issues and all those right. things but i mean that's that's kind the of the opportunity like, cost of everything is so high now yeah and my dad actually is – my dad's a sleep doctor, physician who studies sleep. I don't know if you knew that, Jake, but he, he gets he gets a lot of people coming into his office complaining about FOMO, uh, fear of missing oh out. And I'm not joking. Like I didn't know what the acronym FOMO meant until my dad told me, which I think is crazy because he's Your my dad. dad had to tell you that millennial crap. Oh well, I know, right? But this is, this is back when it first – this is a couple years ago when FOMO was first making its, 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 oh, its rounds. But, like, I had no idea what FOMO was. He told me what it was because people are losing sleep over this. I mean, people, people's psychological health and, and sleep health is being harmed by, by this, exactly what you described, this whole... Uh, paradox of choice. Yeah, paradox of choice. So, this has been interesting. It's been a really great conversation. I really appreciate you guys making the time to sit down and talk. I think we had a really, really productive conversation today. We found our differences. We found our similarities. What do you say? What do you think? Uh, I really wanted to take some time to attempt to draw parallels between a war in North Korea and the Falklands War, but I Ooh. guess we won't do it. Ooh. Maybe I, next time when I'm not on the <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were going to... Well, how, how would you imagine my, Donald Trump would compare with something. Margaret Thatcher, though? Because I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel like he okay, has... Yeah, I, I don't think Trump would have a hand in it at all. Here we go. We're doing it. Okay, no, no. we can't, we got to save it for next time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this... That was the choice I made. I was like, do I go Falklands? Oh, uh, yeah, I see. Okay. Being morally weird. Okay, we'll, save, like we'll save that for next time. Uh, but also, I think we should mention, Jake, did you, tar- did you participate in the, in the challenge of the week? <laughs> yes, I did. Tell, do you want to tell me about... Uh, first, tell, tell the listeners what the challenge of the week last week was, and then tell... Because I don't know if Bridget knows. The challenge knows. of the week... Um, I'm excited about this. Was next time, next time if you're like at the grocery store or something, and someone says "Have a nice day" or something, instead of saying "Thank you," you say "Thank you so much." <laughs> Thank you so <And> much. <laughs> you, PJ and Patrick, because I know you're listening because you love us. Um, I I said it in exactly that way. Like, <laughs> Thank you so. Oh much. my god! <laughs> <laughs> because I was feeling brave and. I got possibly the most withering look I've ever gotten um, from someone. Wait, please I describe the character. It was, oh my gosh. So it was, it was kind of, it, it was weird to begin with because the guy at the cash register was like, 
maybe 17 and he was very interested in talking to this like 16 year old dude who was bagging he was very interested in telling him about all of his exploits and it was just it's just it was just a joke because this guy was trying to brag about how many girls he's held hands with basically if you'll accept the metaphor and yes like so so it was just kind of a weird situation to begin with and the guy was like, I, I, I bought like beer or something. So And he gave me heck about having a baby face, which I totally do. So I was feeling defensive to begin with. So I was defensive in my response. And then when I gave him that, that like. <laughs> thank you so I, much. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> it was just this. So withering was the wrong word. Just very, he was very put off. He was so disinterested in me talking that way. And it was just. Gosh. Yeah. If I hadn't enjoyed it so much, I would have cringed. I did this also. <laughs> I, I also did this, and I was getting in my Slurpee because I'm I'm like ten years old and I still drink Slurpees from Seven <laughs> Eleven, and so I got my Slurpee and I walk up to this woman who's at the cash register and she is I don't know what she is, but she sounds like she's from Southeast Asia, maybe Vietnam or Laos or I don't know, uh, maybe Thailand could be. But I, I want to say it was Vietnamese because the language sounded like Vietnamese to me based on the Vietnamese I've heard. Anyway, she's standing behind the cash register and she's talking to three other women, I assume, of the same ethnicity because they're speaking to each other in this language, which to me sounded like Vietnamese, although I could be wrong. And um, Tiptoeing so much. I don't think any liberals are listening. Yeah, no, you're right. No one's listening. So why do I care? So, <laughs> so like I walk up to them and like I, I go through the motions of this exchange as they're speaking to each other, she's barely even looking at me because, you know, she's just having a conversation with her friends while she's casually also being a cashier. And I finish and I get her attention with my eyes. I just glare at her and she glares at me back and I go, thank you so much. And like, <laughs> and all of her friends look at me and she looks at me and then she just goes, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And that was it. So that was the only time I did it. I wasn't about to do it all week. So, oh no, no, heck no! It was just once. Yeah. So I don't know what the next uh, week's challenge of the week is going to be. Um, do you have any any thoughts? Um, at any, whenever you get a chance, say GIF instead of GIF. <laughs> oh, people get so frustrated by that. But and okay. if they don't get frustrated, stop talking to them. <laughs> Wait until they figure out that you're waiting for them to get frustrated. Because if they're okay with it, they don't deserve your attention. Yeah. Okay. This is a problem for me because most of the people in my office Are older. don't know. Yeah, they're like... Look at this nice gif I found of a panda or something. <laughs> they probably call them gifs anyway. God. Repeating video. Yeah. I hope to get you guys both back on next week or a couple weeks from now and we'll put another podcast out. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Off Days Podcast, episode four. I'm your host, PJ. With me, as always, were my co-hosts, Bridget and Jake. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at offdayspodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at offdayspodcast.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you if you have some mail you want us to discuss something. And I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, but until next time, have a good off day.